chapter 5. I'm going to begin reading at verse 1, and we'll read through verse 6. Galatians chapter 5. We're, um, last week we looked at the first five verses. This morning I really want to just uh, take our time to look at verse 6. I think there's some uh, just uh, wonderful, wonderful gospel truth here, and uh, we're in a we're in a uh, sort of a period of transition in the book. Paul's been um, the last four and a half chapters really uh, talking about the the error of the the Judaizers. So the error of the idea that uh, people must be brought under the law of Moses in order to be saved. And but now he's going to begin a transition and speaking specifically about the Christian and and uh, the Christian life as a life uh, full of the Spirit a life of faith, a life where the Spirit is bearing, bear, uh, bearing fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, etc. We'll be coming uh, to that later in this chapter. And so uh, we're in, in this transition, there's a, there's a link here, uh, um, just a dynamic that I don't want us to miss in, in verse 6, and we'll be focusing on that. Let's pick it up, uh, verse 1 of chapter 5. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness." For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Let's bow and ask the Lord's blessing. Our God in heaven, thank you that you, uh, by your Spirit, have given us this word and that the same Spirit has been given that we might understand it. Lord, uh, I pray that today eyes would be opened, uh, that, Lord, this, this truth would be received and understood and believed that the spiritual things of God would be clearly known to us and that we would, Lord, experience your transforming power by faith in, in your word. I pray that you would do this for your name's sake, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know about you. Um, well, I think I know, but I won't assume. But I love uh, online shopping. It's, it's, uh, it's very convenient. Uh, Amazon's become somewhat like a personal friend. They're so uh, helpful. They, they suggest things. Um, they, uh, they have decent prices. I had a cousin of mine who, who said that if, um, if Amazon doesn't hear from his wife after three days, they send her a get well card. The, um, Amazon just works. But um, what if, what if, it, was, uh, if it wasn't reliable? What if uh, the reviews that you read and sort of rely on to make your, your, uh, your purchasing decisions, what if those reviews were, were actually just manufactured? Uh, they were fake. Uh, what if the actual products themselves were fake? Um, and when I say what if, of course, if you're paying attention, you realize it's not a what if, it's actually the truth. Uh, studies are showing that the... Uh, what's going on with Amazon is, is uh, it's not reliable. So that uh, one study has shown that over 60% of the reviews related specifically to electronics or beauty products uh, are fake reviews. Uh, people are paid to just write those things. Probably have never purchased the product at all. 60%. Um, the products themselves are increasingly... Um, 
counterfeit. So the name brand products that you buy, there's no guarantee that those are, are, are name brand products at all. And uh, Amazon is uh, experiencing lawsuits as, as uh, companies are beginning to, to press um, the, the, this counterfeit uh, illegal activity. Um, uh, Joanne and I experienced this ourselves. We, uh, Joanne bought some canning lids this past fall to do canning. And uh, when we were in the process of making the applesauce, uh, the lids, some of the lids were just failing. And um, as, as we looked more closely, we noticed that uh, the lids that she had ordered from Amazon uh, were not actually ball lids at all. They came in ball boxes, but they were counterfeits. They were fake. And um, that's what's happening. Okay? Now, counterfeit products are annoying, or they could even be dangerous. Uh, but here in the book of uh, Galatians, Paul is addressing something far more serious. He's addressing fake religion. And fake religion can kill you and will kill you, and it will kill you eternally. And, th and, and that's what Paul is up against. That's what he's dealing with in this letter. Uh, as, he's, as he's laboring with these Galatian Christians, he's trying to help them to understand that the gospel, that they're being sold by these false teachers, these Judaizers, that gospel is not the real thing. It's a fake gospel, counterfeit gospel, and it cannot do what the actual gospel does. Uh, it's, it's a subtle fake in some sense. It, it uses similar words. It talks about salvation and talks about Jesus. Uh, it, it seems to come from the Bible. But the religion that is being sold is actually legalism. And legalism is just a fake gospel. It is not the power of God unto salvation. It can't free a soul from the power of sin or the condemnation uh, that, is, uh, that is to come. It cannot uh, make sinners and rebels into children of God and heirs with Jesus Christ. It is a powerless religion to, um, to rescue us out of uh, the wrath of God uh, that we deserve. And so Paul is he's, he's doing everything in his power to help the people understand that they've bought a fake and they need to throw it away. They need to reject it. The, um, and, and what Paul's going to do now is he transitions here in chapter 5. He's going to transition into showing what the real thing actually looks like. Uh, the best way to identify a fake, of course, is to really be familiar with the real thing. Uh, bank tellers will be trained in how to identify real money so that uh, when a counterfeit comes through, they, they're so familiar with the real thing, they can identify the counterfeit thing. Well, uh, Paul wants us to understand what real Christianity looks like, how it works, what the power uh, is, of it is, and, 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 and how it functions. So uh, when Paul says the only thing that counts, well, we want to pay attention when an apostle says that, when he's talking about the Christian life. The only thing that counts, what would that be? How does that work? How does that function in our life? And so let's just look this morning at verse 6. The only thing that counts. So uh, Paul in this statement, first in, in chapter, in verse 6, notice, he, um, he first, uh, there's a negative and a positive aspect to it. First he's going to tell us what doesn't count, and then he's going to tell us what does. First then, what doesn't count? In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. Paul is, uh, has just been talking in verse 5, if you, if you remember, Paul's been talking about um, how we ourselves, Christians, true Christians, through the Spirit, by faith, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. We're, we're through the Spirit at work and by faith, 
hanging on to the gospel, we eagerly anticipate what is yet to come. We look forward to uh, receiving our crown of righteousness. And Paul says, in Jesus, in Christ Jesus, well, circumcision or uncircumcision count for nothing at all towards a hope of righteousness. Now, and circumcision, of course, stands for the Mosaic Law. So, so the false teachers are, uh, in Galatia are saying exactly the opposite. They're saying that circumcision counts for everything. If you're not circumcised, you're not in. There's no hope of righteousness for you. And Paul says in Christ Jesus, in the true gospel in Christ Jesus, it counts for nothing. It has no saving power. It, it, is, it cannot possibly grant you the hope of righteousness. And, and in, in order to show the absolute futility of circumcision, he says it's just like uncircumcision. Now, if you're, again, if you're a Jew and circumcision is everything and uncircumcision is nothing but condemnation and loss, for Paul to say circumcision and uncircumcision are exactly the same thing. In Christ Jesus, it makes no difference. If you're a Jew, if you're a Gentile, if you are um, a faithful adherent to the law of Moses and you are the most perverse pagan in the temple of Dianus, uh, it does not matter. It doesn't make an iota of difference. You're lost. You're without Christ. So Paul just wants to level the ground, level the playing field like the gospel does. You see, the gospel is... It just... It levels the field. We want to, uh, in our world, people want to make distinctions and, and, uh, and we want to make even religious distinctions, moral distinctions. And Paul just says, in Jesus Christ, all those distinctions disappear. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely in Jesus by grace through faith. Everyone's lost the same way. Everyone who gets saved gets saved the same way. So um, he's... In this first part, he's just wiping out anything that would raise itself as a grounds for merit before God or as grounds for hope of righteousness. There is no ground apart from Jesus Christ. He is the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by him. There is no other name, none, given under heaven whereby we must be saved. That's the gospel. Well, <clears throat> what does count then? Paul tells us, only faith working through love. Um, we can paraphrase Paul, right? The only thing that counts is faith working through love. Now, that's a, that's a big statement, and, uh, and we want to understand what it means. What, it, what does Paul have in mind? He can't mean that, that um, faith working through love is the meritorious ground for our salvation, right? He's not saying if you just believe enough and are nice enough, you get saved. Your faith and love do not become the meritorious basis upon which God says, yeah, I think you've met the standard, you're saved, you're in. So he, he can't be saying that. That would be contrary to everything he's already said in the letter. That'd be salvation by human effort. And Paul's made very clear, no one's going to be saved by human effort. But faith working through love counts then what it does mean, it counts in, the, in, in that it is the essential mark of real salvation or, or, or real Christianity, or real faith, a real believer. Uh, there is, there is, it is the definitive evidence of a work of the Holy Spirit of God 
in a person's life. Those who are in Christ Jesus will bear this mark. Do you want to know how you can tell if canning lids are really ball uh, canning lids? It's not that hard. They have ball stamped right on them. So just because it comes in the ball box doesn't mean it's a ball lid. It's got to have the mark stamped on it. Well, um, the same for a Christian. In the same way, you see, faith working through love is the definitive mark of a real Christian. Just because they come in Christian clothing, just because they, they speak Christian jargon and do Christian sorts of things, doesn't mean they're a Christian. That's just the box. Do they have this stamped on their life? Faith working through love. That's the defining mark, characteristic of an actual child of God. Well, let's dig into that a little bit. Why... Um, Let's just talk about faith here first. And first, I just want to point out the role of faith, and then I'll talk about the nature of saving faith. The role of faith. So, why is faith uh, a defining mark of a, of a Christian? Well, theologians speak of faith as the instrument of salvation. It's the way that we lay hold of Jesus. Uh, boys and girls, when you sit down at the supper table, and your mom has prepared a delicious meal, it's your very favorite, what do you pay more attention to? Do you pay more attention to the food or are you really kind of just fixated on the fork by your plate? Well, of course you're fixated on the food. That's why, that's why you came to the table. That's what you need to sustain you. That's what you're looking forward to, to eating. The fork is just the instrument that helps you access the delicious meal that she's prepared. Well, again, in the similar way, um, salvation, faith is the instrument of salvation. It is, it's, it's the way we access the food, and the food is Jesus, isn't he? Right? He's the spiritual nourishment, and the Spirit gives us that faith, which is the means whereby we lay hold of Jesus. We believe everything we've been told about him and all that he's promised to us. And faith, then, you see, is, is the thing that counts because it is precisely our lack, our, our, our abandoning of all trust in ourselves. It is exactly um, casting all of our hope upon Jesus. Clinging to Jesus. That's what faith does. It holds to Christ. All that he's done. All that he's accomplished and all that he promises. And, uh, and, and so when, um, when Paul talks about faith being the only thing that counts, well, because faith is the only thing that holds on to Jesus. It's our only, our only hope is, is him. Now, the nature of saving faith, we've got to be clear, because there are subtle um, varieties, you could say, or, or counterfeits to saving faith. Let's talk about, like, historic faith, right? That's a subtle, it looks like maybe saving faith. The person says he believes in Jesus. Historic faith is just, you believe that Jesus lived and died, and you believe he rose from the dead. You believe what the Bible says about Jesus is true. That's historic faith. It doesn't, really, it doesn't really matter to you. It hasn't really changed you. you. You just accept it as true. There's all kinds of people in churches who think they're Christians because they have historic faith. And again, I just point out over and over, the devil has historic faith. He believes everything the Bible says about Jesus. He believes, it's, he believes in a historic Christ. But that faith, you see, is, it, it doesn't count for anything. That faith will not give you the hope of righteousness. 
You could talk about uh, maybe what we could call doctrinal faith. That's, that's a person who assents to all the doctrines and dogmas of the Christian faith. Everything you read in the Westminster Confession, a person will say, yeah, I agree with all of that. But see, a, a purely doctrinal, dogmatic faith counts for nothing. It's not, it's not going to save you. It, 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 it doesn't uh, bring you the hope of righteousness. Jesus brings us the hope of righteousness. And Jesus is, we lay hold of him by true, spirit-wrought, saving faith. And, and, the, and the identifying characteristic of that saving faith in Christ is that it works through love. This is what Paul was pursuing in his gospel ministry. He wants people uh, to have this kind of faith. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, he says, The aim of our charge is love. The aim of our charge is love. That's what he's after in the lives of people. Love, he says, that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So pure heart, a single-minded heart fixed on Christ and a good conscience washed clean by the blood of Christ, sincere faith holding on to Christ, that produces the fruit of love. And so... That sort of faith is what Paul's talking about here in Galatians. It produces the fruit of love inevitably and necessarily. Inevitably, in the sense, if you put a, a, a seed, a, a, a corn seed in the ground, well, what are you going to get up? Right? A little time, a little water, a little sunshine, heat, you're going to get a corn plant. That's how it works. Um, it's inevitable that it works that way. This faith inevitably produces this fruit. And it does so necessarily in the sense that uh, if it's not producing this fruit, we need to question the authenticity of the faith itself. And so, uh, again, theologians talk about the fact that saving faith, we're saved by faith alone, but that saving faith is never alone. Right? We're saved by faith alone, clinging to Jesus Christ, but that clinging to Christ is going to have an effect of fruit. The Westminster Confession says this, faith, thus receiving and resting on Christ and his righteousness, is the alone instrument of justification, yet is it not, it is not alone in the person justified, but is ever accompanied with all the saving graces and is no dead faith, but worketh by love. So saving, true, spirit-wrought faith will bear this fruit. Now my question is, how? How does that happen? So when Paul says the only thing that counts is faith working through love, we could easily assume that what Paul is saying is if you really believe, you better get to work. If you really believe, you need to gird up your loins and you need to get busy at the work of love. But that's not what he's saying. Notice, Paul isn't telling us what to do. He's telling us what real faith does. He's telling us what real faith does. And it's important that we, again, ask the question, well, how does that, how does that work? How does faith, sincere faith, produce the fruit of love? Piper makes the point in, uh, John Piper makes a point in his book, Future Grace. He's got a whole chapter on this. That, um, you know, we acknowledge that we're saved by faith alone, but saving faith is never alone. But he says, almost no one talks about, well, yeah, but how does that work? How does the one thing, faith, produce the other thing, love? 
Well, if we look at the Greek word here for working, the only thing that counts is faith working. The Greek word is energeo, which is what we get the word energy from. Uh, there's an energy in true faith that produces the fruit of love. Boys and girls, you walk into a room and you hit the light switch and the light goes on. Why? How does that work? Well, you've just completed a circuit, an electrical circuit, and there's electricity in those wires. And when that electricity hits the filament of the bulb um, or the LED light, uh, however that works, I have no idea, uh, but the energy makes it happen, okay? Inevitably makes it happen. Well, in the same way, there's an energy that accompanies saving faith that makes love happen. How? Let's just press down. See, I want to know how because the greatest failure in my life is the failure to love. And I think the same is true for you. We do not love God as we should. We do not love our spouse as we should, our family as we should, our parents as we should. We don't love our friends as we should. We don't love our co-workers and, and our community as we should. We don't love uh, the church of Jesus Christ as we should. And why, why don't we love as we should? Well, because there are sins of pride and greed and envy and fear and bitterness, and they're like parasites on the vine of our Christian life, and they cripple our ability to love and our desire to love. But if the Spirit of Christ is within you, you're not content with that. If the Spirit of Jesus is in you, when you recognize your failures to love, you don't shrug your shoulders. You don't say, that's just the way I am. It's my personality. I just don't like that kind of person. You don't find excuses for why you treat people the way you do. Because the Spirit of Christ within you, you see, refuses to let you sit there in your sin um, and is going to be convicting you. So, so you'll, if the Spirit is within you, you'll want to break free from the shackles of your greed and your lust and your envy and your fear, your addiction to comfort and security, uh, you, so that you're freed and powered to actually, gladly, sacrificially even, love people. Sarah Groves had a song um, maybe 10, 15 years ago. I want to love like breathing. Spontaneous. Completely. Imagine just how lovely it would be. Do you ever imagine that? How lovely it would be if, if you could actually really, truly, happily from your heart love with genuine joy, with eager generosity, with sacrificial compassion, with unusual patience and Christ-like kindness and gratitude and thankfulness? Don't you wish you could love like that? Aren't you envious of people who, who do, if you, if you just notice people that, 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 that love like this? Isn't there something in your heart that yearns to be set free from the sickness in your heart that keeps you from from loving like that? Well, again, how does that happen then? How does faith, because you, you believe, how is faith meant to energize love? I think we have some clues in verse 5 where Paul, again, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. 
As we said last week, verse 5 sort of captures very succinctly the stance of a Christian in the world. A Christian is someone who's been filled by the Spirit of God. They've been made a new creation. There's no faking that. It's either there or it's not there. And that Spirit, <laughs> by faith, right, is the Spirit grants the gift of faith. And what, and what that is, is the Spirit is taking this, the Word of God, and when we hear it and we understand it, we believe it and receive it as true. And we accept the, uh, the gospel, all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ, as true for us. We receive it for ourselves. And that, and, and that being the case, we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. That's what a Christian is. That's how a Christian stands in the world. So <laughs> that means that this person, filled with the Spirit by faith, believes that... Uh, that they're ready to die. There's no more. We don't need to be afraid to die. It, we believe that there's no condemnation in Jesus Christ. We believe we're the children of God. We believe we're the heirs of, the, of heaven. We believe the most outrageous things because the Bible says the most outrageous things. And we believe them truly. And, and though sometimes our faith is shot through with, with unbelief, we cling to that and we're growing in that. We believe these things. And it's that conviction, that faith of God's love for me in Christ and all the blessings that daily flow to me in Christ and all that's promised to me in Christ, that is what frees me to love people. How does that work? <clears throat> How does faith energize love when your heart is dead and cold? It doesn't care. You've been gripped by selfishness. You've been gripped by anger. You've been gripped by self-righteousness. You've been wronged, and you are not going to let it go. How does faith break through a heart like that? I'd like to read um, John Piper's testimony of how it works for him, and I think this is exactly how it works for every Christian. <clears throat> Excuse me. He says, the times that I have felt love welling up in my heart most powerfully have been the times when I've been blessed by God in the midst of my sin. I recall one morning when this truth hit me clearly for the first time. My wife, Noelle, and I had just had an argument. I can't even remember, remember what it was about. But I was angry. So I took the garbage can out the door as an excuse to go outside and get some space. As I walked down the driveway toward the street, the sun broke through the morning clouds. To this day, the profoundness of that moment grips me. Here I was, huffing and puffing with my hurt feelings and desires for vindication and anger at my most valuable treasure on earth. And God, who had every right to strike me dead for my sin, opened the window of heaven and covered me with pleasure. I recall stopping and letting it soak in. The morning breeze was cool. The sun was warm. The leaves of the trees were an almost translucent yellow-green. It felt like paradise, garbage in hand. The effect on me was not to feel vindicated, but broken. I thought God has 1,000 times more reason to frown on me than I have to frown on my wife, and yet here I am being lavished with delights in the very moment of my sins. This brought tears to my eyes, but far more important than tears, it brought powers of love and forgiveness and reconciliation, so I set the garbage down and went back to Noel and apologized. Do you realize that it takes the power of heaven to make a man set down the garbage pail and go back into the house and apologize to his wife. 
And if the power of heaven doesn't intervene, you simply won't get there. And no matter what comes out of your mouth, your heart will be just as gripped with self-righteousness and bitterness and anger and desire for vindication. Uh, You'll go back on the house just as gripped by those things as when you walked out. There is one thing and one thing alone that can actually break the grip of sin in your life, and it is the love of God being poured out to you in the middle of it. See, this is what God does. God has ordained that the conscious cause of love be the experience of God's love for us in Jesus. Past, present, future, received and tasted by faith in the gospel. That's what God does by the Holy Spirit. That's what God does through real faith. The Spirit opens our blind eyes so we see ourselves in truth. And instead of this person that's just been wounded, just been wrong, just is right, or just has these desires, just has these needs, we, are, we see ourselves in truth as, as idolatrous, perverse, proud, stubborn, angry, hateful people. And then we realize we're not in hell. And it's snowing outside. And God is good. And he's never dealt with us as our sins deserve, not once. But every day he blesses us and blesses us and blesses us every day. And how can we then, standing awash in the goodness and kindness of God, how could we, how could we possibly not be broken and humbled and beg God for forgiveness for making it all about us and beg God for forgiveness for wounding the people that he's put in our life so we can nurture them and care for them and bless them. And then in, in humility, go back in the house and, and say, I'm sorry. That was just so unkind. It was all about me. It had nothing to do with God. And I just need to, I need to have you forgive me. Friends, is that functioning in your life? Because that's the mark of a Christian. Faith working through love. That gives you a power you could never have on your own. Power to heal. I don't care how damaged your marriage is. The gospel is the power of God. It's the power of God to the healing of your marriage. And I don't care what relationship in your life that you might look at and say, that I just can't love that person. No, actually, in truth, you can love that person by the power of God. Now, it's going to be the power of God, and, and you're going to have to pray for the Holy Spirit to be at work, to open your eyes, to see the beauty of the gospel. Let me promise you this. When you stand in front of Jesus on the last day, you will not experience any bitterness. When you realize the glory of Jesus Christ and the love, the truth of the love of God for you in Jesus Christ, you're not going to go into heaven saying, yeah, but there is this person I will never forgive. You can't, it just, it's not possible. Well, why not let that reality of that day break into our life today? It's the same gospel and the same truth. Is it easy? Of course it's not easy. It's impossible. It's impossible. Except by the power of God. Except by the Spirit through faith. And then it's absolutely possible. Not only is it possible, it's necessary. And so my question for you this morning, is your faith working itself out in love? 
Do you believe the gospel in a way that's humbling you? In a way that's, that's just giving you that beautiful humility that God exalts and gives grace to, we read about in James. Are, are you believing the gospel in a way that changes how you do your relationships? You see, if you've experienced that once, then pray for the Holy Spirit to do it again. Pray that your life will be molded by that reality, that this will become the new pattern in your life. When you, when you sin against someone and you fail to love, that God would, by his Holy Spirit, open your eyes and you'll see the gospel again and God's love for you again, and it'll break your heart and humble your pride, and you'll go back and begin again to love. Friends, it's, it's essential. It's the only thing that counts. Let's pray. Oh, God in heaven, I thank you for the gospel that is able to transform us. Uh, and the gospel being God's love for us in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our perversion, the midst of our pride, the midst of our envy and our greed and lust and anger. And Father, we need to hear this word because we've wounded so many people in our sin. And we've wounded those closest to us the most, our spouse, our parents, our children. And there are homes, Lord, that are racked with unforgiven sin, hearts that have not been set free to love. And Jesus, I just plead that you would give us your mercy and your grace, that we do not, Lord, move forward with a desire for vindictiveness, and that we would, Lord, we would be broken. Those who've been sinned against, Lord, that we would be set free to trust in God and to be patient and long-suffering. And those who, and Lord, those of us who, when, when we commit the sin, that we, uh, Lord, see it and we're broken because of it and we grieve it and, and we don't, we're not worried about what the other person did and what the other person said. We're worried about who God is and what God has said and what Jesus Christ has done. And that completely changes our approach and perspective. And so, Father, I just pray for the gift of gospel humility in a way that brings deep, profound healing to our lives, true transformation. The, the distinguishing marks of the children of God are manifest in our lives, and we'll give you the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. I just encourage you, if, if the Spirit has just spoken to you this morning, that you take action on that, and maybe today even you go to as someone you've wronged, just take action on it. Don't let it just be a truth that kind of hangs around. If you need help, come and talk to me. Talk to Dr. Norfleet, uh, to Wayne Beanstra, any of us. Find a good friend that can pray with you. Um, don't, let, don't just let it lie. If the Lord's spoken to you today, move forward and experience the freedom that you have in Christ. Let's stand together and close singing a song. Just remembering it's not us, it's Jesus Christ in us. <laughs>